0: the book of Nehemiah. This is what I want to do this morning. We've been in Nehemiah for the last six weeks. And so for the last six weeks, we've kind of, we've walked verse by verse, kind of chapter by chapter, um, building ourselves up. And it was a perfect time, like we said a few weeks ago, it was a perfect time to begin to walk through Nehemiah because of the, the change that's going on here at the church. The idea of going to a second service at nine, Uh, 9 or 9.30 in the morning, it's in the Beacon, the exact time. I believe it's 9.30, and last week we just kind of, 9.30, we cast vision on what that would look like and what kind of sacrifice that would mean for us as a people and how our hands should be callous to the work of the ministry, whatever the cost, and how if we had any reservations, take them to the Lord and then to the preacher, right? (laughs) To the Lord first and then to the preacher. All right. So today we're in chapter 7, and the wall's done. And and what I want to do is because there's there's so many names in chapter 7 that, quite frankly, I just can't pronounce. I Michiel, kind of stuff, you know? We are going to take, and, and it really is a book, kind of a genealogy, kind of a recording name by name. We're going to fly at 30,000 feet over chapter 7, but there's three quick things that I want you to see. I really want to get to chapter 8, and it's not just an attempt to jump over 7 to 8. I just kind of want to, you know, just 30,000 feet. All right. There's three things I want you to grab. In the first six chapters... Uh, And and through the first three verses even of chapter 7, God is rebuilding the city. He's rebuilding the walls. He's showing himself as the God who can build up the broken things. Somebody say, thank God, right? (laughs) He's showing himself to the people that, hey, I can do this thing in 52 days. I can do this thing in a short time. I'm building up the walls. But see, now there's this transition in chapter 7 in verse 4 to where God shifts his focus from, it, it would seem he's shifting his focus from the material and begins to build the people. At first, the focus and the emphasis was on the walls, and the focus and emphasis was on carrying your sword and your trowel in one hand and your sword in the other, your spear, and being vigilant and watching the walls, and let's get these walls finished. Well, now there's this shift, and it's almost like God's like, okay, we've, we've been going brick by brick, but now I want to go through the city heart by heart. See, he went, he went brick by brick through the city, but now he shifts, and he's starting to go heart by heart, and he's about to rebuild the people. There's three quick points I want to make in chapter 7, and if you're, if you're taking notes. Chapter 7 is just a, a brief reminder that we are going to be accountable for the work that God does, and there's three ways. We are accountable for our presence. In chapter 7, verse 4 through 69, you can, you can look. I'm not going to read you all those names this morning, I promise. You can, you can read through them on your own time. Chapter, four, chapter 7, 4 through 69, God counted people by family he put specific people's name in the book and I want you to hear this for me when I was going over this passage, when I was reading it was a reminder that we are going to be counted and we are either going to be counted among the lost or we're going to be counted among the found there is a book that our names will be written down in that the enemy cannot pull us out of so this morning my plea even and I know I'm like I'm jumping to the end before the beginning right but that's the gospel are you counted in the book have you had an experience with Christ? I want to fly over 30,000 feet, but I, I'm, I'm honing in right here. Have you had an experience in Christ in such a way that you know that you're counted in the book, that at the roll call when Christ comes back victoriously, that you will be counted as one, of him, as one of his? Listen, we will be counted. Number two, we'll be accountable for our presence. Either we're in Christ or we're outside of Christ, and we'll be held accountable for that one day. Number two, chapter 7, 70 through 72, and I, I, I know I'm kind of going fast, so bear with me. Now, some of the heads of, of the Father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 generics of gold. And I'm going to stop there because it just lists a few more things of money and goods that were given into the work, right? So not only will be, we be accountable for our presence, either we're counted with Christ or outside of Christ, but if we are in Christ, we will be held accountable for our giving. And I know what you're thinking. Right now, you're like, oh, he's going for our pocketbooks, right? No, no. Your time, your energy, your life, your worship, your direction. You will be accountable for the way that you spend yourself on this planet. You will be accountable for the way that you spend yourself. Now, yes, you will be account- accountable for the way that you spend your money. And, and, and I've said this a million times. I don't believe that God's after your money. I believe that God is after your heart because when he has your heart, he can do whatever he wants with your money. You got me? Okay, okay. The last point from 30,000 feet, and then we're going to move into chapter 8. We're accountable for our presence. We're accountable for our giving. The last thing in verse 73, this is really cool, and this is kind of a side note, but check it out. It says, so the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, and the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And you'd be like, man, what are we going to... What's profound about somebody living in their town, you know? We're accountable for our presence if we're in Christ or outside of Christ. We're accountable for the way we spend ourselves, and we are accountable for the way that we evangelize and disciple the city that we live in. We are accountable to our residents. The word says that we should seek the welfare of our city. So in whatever way that we can, we should be plugging. There's so many ways to serve in our community, and I'm hitting this and moving on. But there's so many ways to serve. There's so many ways to give. We are going to be held accountable for the way that we invested in our community and in our cities. Amen? All right, we're going to move on to chapter 8. That's your 30,000-foot view of chapter 7. And if you want to get theological about um, Nephoshim in verse 32, then we can talk about that later. All right. Chapter 8. 8.1. Eight, one. i I'm going to read this. I love this chapter, y'all. And the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. We're going to stop at verse 1. We're going to walk verse by verse through this. Listen, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the Lord. Okay, we're accountable. I've already said this. We're accountable for our presence, we're accountable for our giving, we're accountable for our residence and how we serve, but listen, we are graced and accountable to hearing the word, okay? And I wanna show you several ways that the people heard the word, that the people sat under the word. The very first way, they did it corporately. If you're taking notes, this could be one A kind of. They heard the word corporately. Listen, we have been given the gifts of God's word corporately so that we might together, come together in unity, grow in, dig in, and be rooted in his word as a people, We've been graced with the word of God, his self-revelation in a book so that we might come together, dig in, press into the text and be rooted in the only thing that will never fail us. We say it all the time, the opinion of man, the opinion of preachers, the opinion of denomination, the opinion on church, it will fail us every time. But the, but the word in the book will never fail. Amen. So we come together corporately, rallied around the book. Because why? Because this points to who? Jesus. It points to Jesus. It's the whole gospel in the book. So we come together together corporately. I want you to hear this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. God loves togetherness. He said they came together as one man. God loves togetherness. And the one thing that God has given us that is indisputable is his word. It's the one thing that we can trust to help us see truth when everything else is crumbling. Do you hear me? It is the one thing that we can turn to that is indisputable. The one thing that even if we don't believe it in the moment, even if we hear things like, and we say it all the time, but God works all things together for the good. We hear things. We don't want to believe them. We don't want to hear them. But at the end of the day, they always stand true. When everything else has crumbled, his word remains. So that's why we rally around this thing corporately, because he loves togetherness, and it will not fail. Listen to Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of the bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I love here that no worship band, no worship style, no certain preacher personalities mentioned. They didn't even mention this apostle specifically. They said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the word and to being a biblical community. They devoted themselves to digging into the word and to knowing one another. The word has to be the foundation. We have to to honor it corporately. Number two, which is halfway down verse one, where it says, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and as the Lord commanded Israel. They, They honored and were graced to hear the word and they heard it believingly. Corporately and believingly, listen, how we believe the Bible and what we believe about the Bible matters. We do not believe the Bible is an archaic book of good principles, cool slogans, or some super sketchy stuff before Matthew. You know what I'm saying? We don't believe that to be true. We don't believe that it was just cool slogans and proverbs that we, you know, we put up on our Facebook page. We don't believe that, that, that the Bible is just you know, kind of a road map you know, kind of a guide, kind of a a toolbox. No, we believe that it is the self-revelation of God that when God wanted to unpack himself for the people, that he gave us his word. And that's why the word is so important. That's why, I just want to paint this picture for you. The word had not been read publicly since the Babylonian captivity. So they're bringing this book out in front of the people. They're bringing the self-revelation of God. They're bringing the attributes and the glory of God wrapped in a book in front of the people. And they believed it. So not only do we approach the word this morning corporately, we approach the word believingly. We abandon ourselves to the truth found within the pages. Amen? I'm going to say that one more time. We abandon ourselves to the truth found within the pages. We approach and we desire to approach the book with total belief. And we have trust that God will give us the faith necessary to believe the full riches and glory of God pinned down in the pages. We believe that God, man, there will be texts that we read across. Listen, as we grow as believers, as you grow and mature in Christ, there will be texts that you get to in the Bible, and you think, God, why did you put this in here? (laughs) This is so difficult, right? Or this is so heavy, or this is just confusing. We come to it corporately, and we come to it believingly, trusting it, because we know that God will give us the faith to understand it and to grab hold of it for life. Amen? Amen. If you're taking notes, next point. We come to the word attentively. Let's read verse 2 through 3 together. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Seventh month, And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. There's a couple points I want to make out of this. They listened to it corporately, they listened to it believingly and they listened to the word attentively. So that time frame that he's talking about is, is at least six hours. You tracking with me? Six hours. Six hours. You're like, bro, you're pushing it now. You know what I'm saying? They were so attentive. They were hungry for the word. And here's a cool thing that I want you to notice. He mentions men and women. Usually when he's taking record of who's present in the Bible, because culturally, they would just mention the men oftentimes. He mentions the men and women. And and I want to give this to you because when it hit me when I was studying, I was just like, oh, yes, God. The word is for everyone. The word is for everyone. He mentions men, he mentions women, and he mentions those who can understand. The Word of God, the gift of God, God himself revealed through the pages of Scripture is for everyone. He didn't mention a social class. He didn't mention a race. He said men, women, and everyone who could understand. The Word has been delivered to all of us, to the lost, to, the, to those who think they have it together, to the broken, to the prostitute, to the elite, Right? Everyone. The word has been delivered and given. So that's why we want to be attentive. And listen, the church, we should look at it this way. As a church, I want to say this, even moving forward, because like we through our sermons and the way we talk to each other, we build our identity as who we are as a people of God, as a church. And the way that Nehemiah was delivering the word to the people, he saw it as a gift for everyone. If you're a man, if you're a woman, if if, if you can understand this, no matter where you come from, it's for you. Our church should strap on those lenses this morning. And our desire should be to reach the nations for Christ. No matter where you come from, this, what we have, this treasure that we've been given in earthen vessels is for everyone. I'm so glad he found me. Amen. All right. So we listen to the word, we sit under the word attentively. Let's go to four and five. Because here we move and we sit under the word reverently. We sit under the word and we listen to the word and we hold the word reverently. Listen to this. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him was Meditai, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Helkiah, and Meisei. At his right hand and a bunch of other other boys that were named just like him. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. They listened to the book. They approached the word of God reverently, because they knew that inside the text was the power. John, uh, Paul said it best in Romans 1, 16, where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and also to the Greek. The word was given, the gospel was given, not so that we could flippantly throw it around, not so that we could ignore it, not so we could run to it just when we wanted to, but so that we could humbly and reverently approach it, knowing that it's going to speak to our hearts and maybe offend our pride. Ezra and the people stood before the reading of the word because the reading of the word was special. It was important. And it was great value. I think it's interesting that he was put, Ezra was put up on a pedestal, and I thought about it in this context. He was put on a pedestal to lift up the word of God and make the pul- the, 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 the He was center stage reading the word of God. It elevated the word. The goal in our life is to approach the word so reverently That we are diminished, that we become less, and that the word is elevated in front of people. So that the word of God is lifted up in front of people. That the way that we respond in life, the way that we respond at work, the way that we respond to our families, that we are not putting ourselves on a pedestal, but we are lifting the gospel up in front of them to see. We're lifting the gospel up in our community. Next point, verse 6. This might be one of my favorite verses in all the book. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I want to stop right there. And because, like, I do this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times, especially when I started out early in ministry, I was like, man, I want to worship. Right, so I'd get a guitar and I'd be like, I'm worshiping. Or I want to worship, so I'd plug in a certain CD. And then I read the book of Nehemiah and I was like, yikes. Because nobody was singing. You know, nobody was rocking that old school cast and crowns that made you cry, you know what I mean? (laughs) The giant song, you know what I'm talking about, everybody cried on that song. The word is to be approached worshipfully because it is because of the gospel that we worship he said present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god this is your reasonable service or if you're reading the NIV I believe it says your spiritual act of worship the surrendering of yourself to the to, To the goodness of God demonstrated through Scripture is worship. When you rise up in the morning, you take that first breath, and you're halfway conscious before your coffee, and then fully conscious after your coffee, that's worship. The way that you respond to your family is worship. The way that you honor your boss or dishonor your boss is worship. And you're always worshiping somebody or something. Do you hear me this morning? Are we tracking together? We approach the word worshipfully. Man, they raised their hands. They bowed their heads. And listen, they put their faces on the pavement. They got down as low as they can. And that's the picture I see when I hear about God, when I hear about his goodness. I don't, it doesn't have to be a certain song or a certain preacher, like I said, or a certain cool verse. When I hear his word, the glory of his personality revealed in a book, I should try to get so low so that he is lifted so high. That should be our aim this morning, that we approach his word and his gospel so worshipfully that people see us on our face before them and before him. Now, are you supposed to walk into your office tomorrow morning and just lay down on the floor? I would not advise that. Unless he told you to. That would be kind of cool. Do you approach the word worshipfully? I want to read this to you. I love that I love, that. I love that their faces went to the pavement because it made me think of the word lowly. Listen to Isaiah 2, 11. The haughty looks of man will be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. God's people started out that way. Listen, if you always start on your face before the Lord, he'll be lifted up. See, oftentimes this is what God has to do in our lives because we, because if you, let me just talk about me for a second. I won't, I won't meddle in your business even though I will be in a minute, right? A lot of times we start out in life with our chest poked out with me in mind, my direction, what I'm doing. And there has to come a point to where God in his grace lovingly breaks us. Scripture says either fall on the rock and be crushed or let the rock fall on you and crush you. I'd much rather fall on him, <laughs> okay? But I thought about this. When they heard the word, they approached it Face down. No personal preferences. No rights of their own. Totally abandoned to the glory of his gospel. For us this morning... If we would approach God and we would approach people in that way, if we would have a, a, a kind of from our feet to our face mentality when it comes to life, God, let me be on my face spiritually before you at all times. Let me be on my face serving and loving and worshiping before the people that you've graced me to be around. Lord, let me come before you lowly. I want you to hear this verse and then we're going to move on. I'm not going to beat that point too much, even though I could stay there all day. All right. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. He loves when we come before him with reverence and humility and awe. I want to tell you this morning, when we come before God face down, he will not refuse us. You hear me this morning? Scripture says that God resists the who. The proud. I love to say it this way. He, he stiff arms the proud. He stiff armed me before for my good and for his glory. He, he's broken my heart. He's broken me and stiff armed me so that I would be made humble and crawl back to him. You say, TJ, I don't like the way that sounds. Well, me neither. And it doesn't feel good, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's the Bible. And I think about this this way. Mm, let's go to seven and eight. We got to hurry. If you want to get out of here by three o'clock this afternoon. Okay. 7 and 8. Flip the page. And all those guys that were standing around him on his left and his right, they were all still hanging out there, okay? Verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Listen, not only do we approach the book worshipfully, face down, humbly, we approach the gospel and we approach life humbly, being carried by the word, but we approach the word studiously. Do you hear me? It should be a part of our lives, not just to know a little bit about God or the major stories that we've been taught in Sunday school, but it, is, it has been given to us so that we might know this, learn this, love this, and then give this to the world. You say, are you sure? Well, Paul had this interesting rant in the New Testament, and he went on, and he was addressing churchmen and churchwomen, and this is what he said, you should be teachers you believer of 15 years, you believer of 10 years, you believer of 20 years, you should be a teacher and you're still sipping on the milk. When are you going to grow up, get into the word and give it to the world? And listen, if you feel offended at that statement, just know that Christ loves you and I love you and it's good medicine even when it goes down rough. We should approach the word studiously. We, it has the answer to life it has the objective of our businesses and of our families it's all contained right here we will not know until we dig in the pages until we approach it like a meal and we should be progressing it'd be awkward if we all went to lunch this morning you're like tj where's your lunch i'm like i got it right here in the kid's diaper bag whipped out a bottle and went to work that would be super awkward but listen it happens in church every sunday Spiritually, it happens all the time. We've been at this thing 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, and we're still rocking the bottle, man, and God's just pleading through the power of the Spirit this morning, grow up. Grow up so that you might be useful. If you dug into my word, you would stop tripping over the coffee table. You'd learn how to walk around it, right? Okay. I loved also that it showed in 7 and 8, they were approaching the word studiously in such a way that someone other than Ezra could teach. It talked about his, his boys on his left and his right, that they were there to help with understanding. Listen, dads, it doesn't have to be the responsibility of the pastor to teach your kid about Jesus. You can dig into the word, moms, dads, you can dig into the word in such a way that when your kid has a question, when they want to know something about Christ or about God, you can be the one to deliver. It doesn't have to be the preacher. And where you stay at this church or go to any other church, I would love that you have such an appetite for the Bible that you disciple your children, that you teach your kids, that you teach your friends, you teach your family. All right, 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor... And Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Listen to what happened. Ezra begins to read the word of God, he begins to put the law of God on display, and instantly everyone's convicted. He starts talking about the holiness and the righteousness of God. He begins to unpack the scripture to a group of people who had not heard from the Bible in years, right? Since the Babylonian captivity, this thing was tucked away and it's rolled out on a scroll and he begins to read about this God who is glorious and full of majesty and wrath and all the people just lose it because they realize a God like that is coming with a vengeance. That a God like that is a hand heavy-handed, glorious, victorious ruler of the universe. And their only response was brokenness. Like when you read about a God like that, when you hear about a God who blew up whole towns in the Old Testament, you think, oh my gosh, you are full of wrath and you're powerful. And listen, if they had been left there, there would have been no hope for the city because the people would have been so disheartened they would have never got off their faces But let's move on because this is really cool. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day... Is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levite calmed the people, saying, "Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved." And the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that word declared to them. Listen, when we understand the full scope of Scripture, that yes, God is mighty, yes, God is strong, yes, God is coming with a vengeance, yes, He will punish sin. But when we flip that coin and we see, but He sent. Jesus so that we might be freed from condemnation so that we might be freed from wrath so that we, we might be free to life when we see the other side there's no more reason to grieve and cry but reason to rejoice amen reason to rejoice get off your face now get up from your groveling it's like don't be broken anymore don't stay broken in the context of where you're shamed and condemned stand up rejoice Dance before him. You've been freed in Christ. Anybody been freed in Christ this morning? Yeah. I love you three. I'm going to read this and we're going to jump on. And here was the reason to stop weeping for the people. God oftentimes had destroyed, raised up the Babylonians. He'd raised up the Chaldeans. He'd raised up the Amorites. He'd raise up a group of people that would attack the children of Israel, sometimes almost wipe them out. The reason that those inside the city had a reason to get up from their brokenness and rejoice is because in spite of their rebellion, God had spared them. I want you to hear this this morning. The reason that you and I can leave this place and even in this moment, that we can live with a heart of rejoicing, is because even in our rebellion, he spared us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we approach the text joyfully. The pardon from God for those who have trusted in Jesus as Savior gives us infinite reason to rejoice. Amen. Last point, wrapping up. 8, 13 through 18. We approach it worshipfully, studiously, joyfully. Very last point. We approach the word obediently. 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of the fathers of the house of all the people and the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found in it written the law, the law that the Lord commanded Moses by Moses that the people of Israel would dwell in booze during the feast of the seven months. So you know what they did? They went out and they built some booze and they dwelled in booze. They went and got some... They went and got some some limbs and kind of put some booths together and they followed the command of Scripture. We approach the Word of God joyfully, but listen, when you see the Word of God and you see that the righteous thing for God to do was to send us to hell, but instead He sent Jesus, our response can be a response of rejoicing. Hear this, when we realize all that God has given to reconcile us to Him, our only response should be Obedience when we really, when we see fully what God has done for us in Christ, the only thing left to do is obey. The only thing left to do is follow. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-21 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we ambassadors, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. For his sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, when we see what God has done in Christ for us, our response should be obedience. He made him who knew no sin to carry your sin and my sin to the cross nailed to the cross and I bear it no more nailed to the cross y'all every sin, every shame, every stain nailed to the cross we don't bear it anymore the only thing to go do from here is to obey, amen the only thing to do from here is to follow so let me say this and the guys will come and we're going to respond we respond to Jesus' obedience in our place with radical obedience for his namesake I want you to hear that phrase. We respond to Jesus' obedience of the Father's will. When he took our sin to the cross, he was being obedient to the being obedient to God the Father. He took our sin to the cross. And because of his obedience, we obey. Because of his sacrifice, we have the opportunity to obey. So listen, this morning we approach the word worshipfully, studiously, joyfully and obediently to that I say let's get to work for the kingdom amen let's get our hands dirty in the work of the gospel and realize that that God didn't just say hey good luck get after it self-revelation who he is is wrapped up in the pages of this can we dig in together get to know him and go make a difference for his namesake let's pray God this morning you are worthy You're the author of the book. You're the author. And God, I I pray this morning that you would allow us to hear the word and carry the word corporately, believingly, attentively, reverently, worshipfully, studiously, joyfully and obedient, God. Let our response to you this morning, to whatever you say, wherever you're calling us, wherever you're leading us through the grace of the gospel, let our response be, yes, I will go where you say go. I will do what you say do, God, and I will say what you say say. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.